Welcome to This is the Life Podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Ann Edwards. And in this episode, we're continuing to learn about what the breaker wants to break down in our lives. The Lord is speaking to us today about breaking down demonic covenants and strongholds in order to set us free from generational bloodline curses that have plagued us for many generations. This episode, much like the last, promises to be an eye-opening revelation, and I pray the Holy Spirit will give you insight into how it applies to your life. Get ready. The Breaker is here to help us break it all down. Stay tuned and thanks for listening to This is the Life. Hi, everyone. In the previous episode, the Lord shared in heavy detail the importance of us keeping our hearts clear of idols and false gods. He stressed the significance of addressing these hindrances to us having true and deep intimacy with him. So now let us hold on to the Lord as we go deeper into the truth of God. Get comfortable, get something to drink and something to take notes so you can bring it back to the master when you seek his face about this word. We're going to jump into talking about covenants, but first let us define what it is. A covenant is a legally binding promise, agreement or contract. And all covenants are honored by God, whether good or evil. We're going to take a close look at an an example in Joshua 9, but we're going to stop in Deuteronomy first on our way there so we can get some foundation, some context. And after we pass through Joshua, we will visit 2 Samuel chapter 21 to finally tie things up. The Lord is building up our understanding here, so let's just track with him. The word Deuteronomy in Hebrew translates to, these are the words, It is thought of as a retelling or reiteration of the laws that God gave to Moses for the children of Israel to follow. This book reveals God as a jealous, faithful, loving, and merciful God who's angered by sin. So while I researched the meaning of the word Deuteronomy, the Lord gave me a a quick vision. And this vision was of a, a mother duck. A mother duck is also called a hen. And she had her ducklings like walking behind her in a line obediently. It was beautiful. And from this, I just, you know, got that our father, you know, our king that we serve, he just wants his babies to follow behind him obediently and keep his commandments and pursue personal holiness. Because, you know, according to First Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 15 to 16, you know, we're called to be holy like our father. So this book, the book of Deuteronomy, also shows Moses warning the Israelites against violating God's law. Moses shared with the children of Israel the consequences that would befall them if they did not obey the law. Matthew chapter 5 verse 18 tells us that Jesus did not come to destroy the law or the prophets, but to fulfill it. So let us keep this in mind as we learn more. So in Deuteronomy chapter 9 verse 3, God tells the Israelites that he will go before them, basically helping them to destroy those people living in the land of Canaan. He said that he would do this to give them the advantage to drive them out and destroy them quickly. He made sure, though, to mention that he was doing this not because the Israelites were somehow righteous, but he was doing this because of the wickedness of those people and also because he made the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He demonstrates here how seriously he took the covenant he made with Abraham and his descendants. So now we move to Deuteronomy chapter 20. So backstory, this is where God, he's given the Israelites the principles uh, governing warfare. 
So he told them, like, if they go to fight with a city, they should first proclaim peace. Um, if that city accepted, then that the people in that city would then be subject to the Israelites. Basically, they would be their slaves. However, if the city refused to make peace with the Israelites, then God commanded them to kill all the males and plunder everything else. He told them that this principle should apply only to those countries that were very far away from them. I hope you guys are tracking so far. Now we pick up the history in Deuteronomy 20, verses 16 to 18. And this is what God said to them regarding the people who inhabited the land of Canaan, which is the promised land. However, in the cities of the nations, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Do not leave alive anything that breathes. Completely destroy them. The Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Otherwise, they will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do in worshiping their gods, and you will sin against the Lord your God. So basically, he said they should take everybody out, leave none alive. This is another scripture that speaks to what the Lord told us in the last episode. He didn't want them mixing with those who were worshiping pagan gods, so much so that he commanded them to be wiped out. Now we're going to spend some time in the book of Joshua to see what happened there. Backstory time. So we're at the point of history where Moses has died and Joshua is now chosen to be his successor. And Joshua is now going to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. The Lord God told Joshua that every place where he went, he would give it to him. And that was mentioned in Joshua chapter 1 verse 3. And God also told him that no man would stand against him because he, God, would be with him. So God gave Joshua the strength to lead the war campaign against the Canaanite people. And so Joshua and the Israel and the Israelites started to clean house, basically. In chapter 5, we even see Joshua receiving a visit from the commander of the army of the Lord himself, who is believed to be Jesus Christ. And Joshua is humbled in and by his presence. It does not get any better than this. You know, imagine Jesus Christ visits you right before you go into your first battle. You know, just his presence alone means the children of Israel have the sure victory, you know, which is the will of God. Because remember, God told them, I'm not doing this because you did something righteous. I'm doing this to clean this place up and to fulfill my promise. So here now stands the commander to do just that. I want to stop right here and I want to declare victory over your lives right now in the name of Jesus, who is the commander of the army of the Lord. Amen. All right. Okay. So they start with the city of Jericho and they smashed it. They basically, yeah, we all know the story about the walls of Jericho coming down. Um, and they, of course, they did it with God's help. Then they moved on to the city of Ai. Uh, they had a problem there because of Achan. And you can read about that in Joshua chapter 7. But they went on to eventually defeat them too. And now people are hearing about their victories and the mighty power of their God. And, and those people are gathering together to fight against them. Okay, so now we're all caught up. So let's go to Joshua chapter 9 verse 3. And I'm going to read. And it came to pass when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan, in the hills and in the lowland, and in all the coasts of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Hamorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard about it. 
that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, and old garments on themselves. And all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal, and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country, now therefore make a covenant with us. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you dwell among us, so how can we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. Okay, so basically they deceived them. But to Joshua's credit, he did ask some pertinent questions at first. And the Bible also gives us a clue into who they really were in verse 7. But we see that the Gibeonites maintained the lie. They didn't even flinch. The children of Israel failed to inquire of God about these people who were calling themselves people from afar. And as a result, they were deceived. They were tricked into entering into a covenant with the very enemy God said they should utterly destroy. Okay, so I want to point out something important that the Lord showed me here. I was curious about where they came from because when you read in scripture about the names of the people in the land of Canaan, you know, the seven nations of Canaan, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites in Deuteronomy 7 and 1, we never see Gibeonites mentioned. So the Lord showed me that in verse 7, the Israelites addressed them as Hivites. And when I looked up the meaning of the word Gibeonites, which is actually pronounced Giv'on in the Hebrew language, it means hilly or little hill. It also means an inhabitant of Gibeon, the city. So from further research, I saw that the Israelites knew what was the truth, that the Gibeonites were in fact descendants of the Amorites and also the Hivites. Are you still tracking with me? I hope you are. So let's now go to Joshua chapter 9 verse 16. We see here that the covenant is honored by God from the reaction of the Israelite rulers of the congregation. And it reads, And it happened at the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, that they heard that they were neighbors who dwelt near them. Then the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Shephira, Beeroth, and Kirjath-Jerayim. But the children of Israel did not attack them, because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation complained against the rulers. Then all the rulers said to all the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel, now therefore we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will let them live lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. And the rulers said to them, Let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation, as the rulers had promised. Then Joshua called for them, and he spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us, saying, We are very far from you, when you dwell near us? Now therefore you are cursed. And none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. All right. So basically they couldn't touch a hair on them. They couldn't touch them at all. God recognized this as a binding agreement. 
So if they harmed the Gibeonites, they would have to deal with God and nobody wanted that. Nobody wants that. So when I was researching this, I wondered how the Gibeonites knew to try that angle, you know? How did they know how to make a covenant with them? Yeah, that was what they needed to do. I wondered if if they knew, you know, about God and how he honors covenants or, you know, if the devil maybe suggested it to them. We know the devil knows God's laws very well. I'm not sure. I pray that the Lord will reveal it. Um, the scripture does say that the Gibeonites told the Israelites that they heard about their victories. But what else did they hear and who did they hear it from? Mm-hmm. Let's move on. We now journey to another section of scripture that confirms again that God honors the covenant. In chapter 10 of the book of Joshua, we learn that when the kings of the other cities found out that the Gibeonites had made peace with the Israelites, they decided to launch an attack against the city of Gibeon. The Gibeonites responded by calling to the Israelites for help. And the Bible tells us that Joshua and the Israelites went to their aid. We now pick up the story in Joshua chapter 10, verse 7. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the warriors with him, and all the mighty men of valor. I'm jumping to verse 10 and 11. And the Lord caused the enemies to panic before Israel, who slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, and chased them along the way that goes up to Beth Haran, and smote them as far as Azekah and Machadah. As they fled before Israel, while they were descending the pass to Beth Haran, the Lord cast great stones from the heavens on them as far as Azekah, killing them. More died because of the hailstones than the Israelites slew with the sword. Okay, so we kind of went the long way on this one because I believe the Lord wants us to see this part in action. Okay, so now remember, these Gibeonites are the same people God told the Israelites to destroy completely, right? And now we see that, you know, when they call for help, Joshua and all the people of war went up to fight five kings and their armies in defense of these people. God even told Joshua that he shouldn't fear them. He said he would deliver them into his hands and no one would stand before him. Then in verse 10, the Bible says that God routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon and chased them down. Listen, I love this part of the story, by the way, because I just imagine our awesome and mighty God, our father, you know, fighting alongside his kids. Picture it. He's raining down hailstones with sniper precision and ends up killing more of the enemy combatants than the children of Israel did. That's smooth to me. Okay, so notice also um, he didn't stop there. More firepower was given to the children of Israel and the power of God was demonstrated when the Bible says Joshua commanded the sun to stand still and the moon to stop. Let's be clear. God is the one that did it. But Joshua did talk to him about it. So all of this was a glorious victory for the Holy One of Israel and for his children. But notice, God never said to the Israelites, I will not help you fight these people because of the covenant you made with the Gibeonites. He never said to them that, you know, because they didn't seek his face, that he wasn't going to allow the covenant to stand. He honored the covenant. So now as we go to our final stop in Second Samuel chapter 21, we will see more evidence of this. 
All right, you know, we got to start with the backstory. So in 2 Samuel chapter 21, we're now entering into the time when David has been named as king. So by this time, he's actually been ruling now for about 32 years. Um, and most recently, um, in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 19 and 20, he had to deal with his son Absalom trying to take the kingdom from him, only to die at the hands of David's army commander Joab. David also was dealing with an insurrection by a relatively unknown character named Sheba, which was also handled. Then came a three-year famine in the land, and the Bible tells us that David inquired of the Lord. Did you catch that? David went to God and asked him what was going on, unlike Joshua and the children of Israel back in the day. So that is where we pick up right now in verse 1. Let's read. During the reign of David, there was a famine for three successive years. So David sought the face of the Lord. The Lord said, It is on account of Saul and his blood-stained house. It is because he put the Gibeonites to death. So David then goes to the Gibeonites to talk to them about what could be done to appease the Gibeonites so that God would put a stop to the famine. So here's their response in verses 4 to 6. The Gibeonites answered him, We have no right to demand silver or gold from Saul or his family, nor do we have the right to put anyone in Israel to death. What do you want me to do for you? David asked. They answered the king. As for the man who destroyed us and plotted against us so that we have been decimated and have no place anywhere in Israel, let seven of his male descendants be given to us to be killed and their bodies exposed before the Lord at Gibeah of Saul, the Lord's chosen one. So the king said, I will give them to you. Okay, so we see that David stayed true to his word. And he did give the Gibeonites seven of Saul's male descendants. And they met their death in the same place that was named after Saul. This entire event, though extremely sad, was a testament again of the truth that God honors covenants. He sent a famine as punishment for Saul's actions against the Gibeonites. And if that wasn't proof enough, the Lord pointed out to me in verse 7 that David spared the life of Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, because of the Lord's oath that was between David and Jonathan. In other words, God honored the covenant that David made with Jonathan when he was still alive. It's very, very clear. God honors all covenants. Think about some of the covenants that have been made throughout history in the Bible. So we have the Noahic covenant, right? It's an unconditional covenant between God and Noah specifically and also humanity in general. Um, we learn about this in Genesis chapter 6 verse 18 and Genesis chapter 9 verses 9 to 17. There's the Abrahamic covenant that's made between God and Israel. In this covenant, God promised many things to Abraham. One notable promise is that the families of the world will be blessed through the physical line of Abraham. We learn about this in Genesis 12 and 3 and also in Genesis 22 verse 18. This is a reference to the Messiah who would come from the line of Abraham. There's also the salt covenant otherwise known as the priestly covenant. And that's the covenant made between God and the Levites. Uh, We learn about this in Numbers chapter 18, verse 19. And now we come to the new covenant. The new covenant is a covenant made first with the nation of Israel and ultimately with all mankind. In the new covenant, God promised to, to forgive sin and that there will be a universal knowledge of the Lord. 
There are many scriptures that point to Jesus as the Messiah and Christ and as the mediator of the new covenant, according to Isaiah 42 and 6 and Hebrews 8 and 6 to 13. His sacrifice bought redemption, forgiveness, and complete salvation. All but one covenant, the Mosaic covenant, are eternal and unilateral. And unilateral means meaning of an action or decision performed by or affecting only one person, one group, or one country involved in a particular situation without the agreement of another or others. So imagine if God did not take the new covenant seriously. This covenant that opened up the door for us to be reconciled to God, the Father, through Jesus, his only begotten Son. This same covenant that affords us the guarantee that we are children of God and as a result now have the gift of eternal life. The same covenant that affords us the privilege of appropriating the blood of Jesus over our lives, our situations, and our circumstances. It opens the door for us to have life and have it more abundantly in Jesus Christ according to John 10.10. Imagine if God didn't take this covenant seriously. We would be in some serious trouble. Our takeaway here is that the covenant Joshua and the Israelites made with the Gibeonites stood. The covenants made by God stood and are still standing. And so are the covenants that our ancestors and we ourselves have made. For us, the difference now is that under the new covenant, We have been given the authority to appropriate the blood of Jesus to break covenants that are not of God, that do not glorify him, and those that keep us in bondage. 1 John chapter 3 verse 8 tells us this, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. And we learn in John 10.10, the thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. The enemy cannot operate in our lives unless we come into agreement with him, unless a a covenant is formed at an altar at a point of entry. A sacrifice at an altar seals the agreement between the spirit and the human, affecting his bloodline for generations to come. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 28, we learn that we are made in the image of God and that we were made to be fruitful, to subdue, and to have dominion over the earth. Psalm chapter 8 verses 4 to 6 also reinforces this truth when it says, You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. We see here proof that God never gave rulership or dominion to spirits. He gave it to humans, to mankind. So the only way a spirit can operate in the earth is to come through covenants made at altars. As we learned in Exodus 20 and 24, whenever or wherever we come to worship God and seek him in a place where his name is recorded, in other words, where his name is remembered, called, recognized, or brought to mind, he said that he will not only come to us, but that he will bless us. Alternatively, 
wherever or whenever we seek to satisfy our fleshly desires or seek to inquire of anything and or anyone that is not of God or anywhere his name is not recorded, we will be met with a curse which comes through covenants formed with demonic spirits. For those who are tracking the word, the the scriptures referenced here can be found in Exodus 20 verses 1 to 17, Leviticus chapter 19 verse 31, Leviticus chapter 20 verse 6 and 27, and Deuteronomy 28. We need to be aware that demonic covenants made by our forefathers and our ancestors, our family members, and even by ourselves, are still being honored and kept, even though we may be saved and living holy and consecrated lives before the Lord. Here's a quote from Francis Frangipani. Quote, Satan has access to the domain of darkness, but he can only occupy those areas where mankind through sin has allowed him. Unquote. Be reminded, God knows. God knows and sees all, and it is his desire to set his people free from any and all forms of hindrance. The breaker wants to break down any covenants made at demonic altars that are keeping us and our generations bound. For some of us, there may be a history of secret covenants made through the altars of sorcery, witchcraft, voodoo, santana, fraternities, sororities, and that also includes quote-unquote Christian fraternities and Christian sororities, also Freemasonry and other secret societies. Also, these demonic covenants can be formed through engaging in witchcraft activities, including the use of astrology, horoscopes, psychics, tarot card readings, tea leaf readings, palm readings, fortune-telling, yoga, techniques used to meditate without the living God, crystal healing, reincarnation beliefs, Reiki, the use of sage, spirit guides, unicorns, shamanism, chakras, acupuncture, numerology, angel numbers, angel readings, affirmations that do not include the living God, dream catchers, drum circles, fairies, hypnosis, and many other new age practices. God is light. Therefore, if we are not in him, we are in darkness. According to 1 John chapter 1 verses 5 to 9 and John chapter 3 verses 19 to 20. The breaker is here to break down that which the enemy is using to tie up our bloodlines and to lock down our destinies through demonic covenants. Out of these demonic covenants comes strongholds of the enemy. And strongholds are the results of the manifestation of the curses on our bloodlines. I repeat that. A stronghold is the result of the manifestation of the curses on our bloodlines. Instead of the blessings the Lord intended for us to receive, curses were released because of disobedience. Let's look at some definitions so we can get a better understanding. A curse is defined in the English language dictionary as a solemn utterance intended to invoke a supernatural power to inflict harm or punishment on someone or something. The Hebrew word for curse is arar, and it translates to abhor, to detest, to cause or produce a curse. Alternatively, a blessing is described as God's favor and protection in the dictionary, and the Hebrew translation of the word berakah means the result which is prosperity and good of every kind. It is a source of blessing. Praise of God, a gift and a present. 
A stronghold is a place that has been fortified so as to protect it against attack. As mentioned in Psalm 27 and 1, the word strength is translated in the concordance as the word ma'oz, which is a strong or fortified place, a defense, a fortress. The enemy has set up strongholds in our lives as bases of operation to stop, block, delay, defeat, steal, deter, kill, and destroy us in an attempt to cause us not to fulfill the destiny calling on our lives in Jesus Christ, according to John 10.10, and also Ephesians 3 and 14 to 19. These spiritual strongholds are not something we can fight physically. This fight is against spiritual hosts of wickedness and demonic powers. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 to 12 tells us, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We learn in the word that our power comes from God alone through the armor that he has provided, according to Ephesians 6 and 10 and 14 to 18. The enemy has mounted up against us the strongholds, which are the manifestation of the curses. And some of these strongholds include false teachings, doctrines, religions, teachers, and prophets. He's also mounted up against us the strongholds of lies and deception, witchcraft, unforgiveness, lust, greed, anger, bitterness, spiritual laziness, poverty, unbelief, doubt, selfishness, premature death, murder, every kind of addiction, including drugs, alcohol, sex, pornography, narcissism, and so much more. Additional strongholds include anxiety, failure, fear, being stuck and trapped in the pain of past memories, anti-marriage, failed marriages, abortion, miscarriages, rejection, grudge-holding, infirmity, homosexuality, lesbianism, financial lack, financial hardship, greed, pride, confusion, mental illness, oppression, suppression, depression, procrastination, perfection, which is a feeling of being stuck in the trap of trying to be perfect and getting nothing done, indifference, laziness, gluttony, works performance. That's the lie that you have to work to earn God's approval. In addition to those strongholds, there's also obesity, demonic torment, orphan lifestyle, which is believing that no one cares about you and you're on your own. There's also forgetfulness, slothfulness, unworthiness, molestation, perversion, incest, rape, self-righteousness, and legalism. These are only a few of the strongholds that the enemy tries to use to keep generations bound. Some of these that I mentioned may have stood out to you. You may have noticed them in your family history and or certain family members' lives. You may even have experienced these also in your own life or have heard stories of your forefathers experiencing them in the bloodline and generations past. Although we can be plagued by sickness because of our lifestyles and not taking care of ourselves, 
We must be aware that some of these manifestations are not just tendencies. They're not just heredity. They are not just the way your family is. These are not just things and occurrences and family background and history. They are demonic roots, demonic strongholds, seeking to keep your bloodline from thriving and excelling according to the will of God. The great news now is that the breaker is here to help us overcome the enemy strongholds in our lives. He desires for us to recognize the presence of these fortified places and then to pull them down with his breaker anointing. As it is written in Hosea 4 and 6, My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I also will ignore your children. It is not the will of God for us to perish, as we read in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He desires for us to have knowledge so that we will not be destroyed, but if we choose to ignore his pleas, then the curses will remain. Jesus paid the price for us to have the power to overcome the enemy by breaking these demonic strongholds. John 10.10 10 tells us that he came so that we can have abundant life, that overflows. The Lord desires for us to know that the curses do not go away when we are saved, and that is because covenants are honored until they are broken. He didn't go through all of this for nothing. He longs for us to receive deliverance and healing. For those who have accepted him in their hearts and lives as Savior and Lord, his will is for us to live healed, healthy, and whole in him for the glory of God the Father. As it is written in 2 Peter 2 and 29, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Jesus loves us. He loves every one of his children. And that is what this message is all about. He paid a very high price for all of us because of his deep and unending love. And right now he lives to intercede on our behalf, according to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. He is our great high priest and our advocate and mediator in the courts of heaven, where Satan the accuser accuses us continuously. Jesus wants to be the only stronghold in your life, as it says in Psalm 27, verses 1 to 2. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Jesus wants to be the strength of your life, as some translations put it. In verse 2 to 3, it goes on to say, When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. Who do you think those enemies are fleeing from? It is Jesus, your stronghold. Notice the word says when the wicked advance. It doesn't say if. They will come. But as it is written, they are the ones who will stumble and fall because Jesus will be your stronghold. You will no longer be bound to weakness and defeat by the devil, but to strengthen the Lord Jesus Christ. He is calling you now. 
Will you listen? Will you respond? Here is the word of the Lord spoken now over you, your bloodline, and your generations to come in Jesus' name. Jeremiah chapter 30 verses 16 to 17. But all who devour you will be devoured. All your enemies will go into exile. Those who plunder you will be plundered. All who make spoil of you I will despoil. But I will restore you to health and heal your wounds, declares the Lord, because you are called an outcast, Zion, from whom no one cares. Let us now seek the Lord and come into agreement with what he desires to do on our behalf. Let us repent of our iniquities and the sins of our forefathers and ask God for forgiveness in the name of Jesus for any and all secret or public covenants made with the devil. Let us break these demonic covenants by faith in the name of Jesus and thus breaking the chains, the ropes, the walls and fortresses that are being used by the enemy to bind our bloodlines. Let us seek the Lord and ask for revelation from the Holy Spirit about what curses have been levied upon our bloodlines and are now being used as legal rights against us by the enemy. Let us make way for the breaker, the king of glory, to go before us and help us break down all demonic covenants, strongholds, and altars for his glory. Notice I said help us. This means that a partnership is required. He shows the way and we walk in it. He supplies the weapons and the strength and we use it. It is time to break it all down. I invite you as a child of God, those who have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior over their lives, to say this prayer in faith. My Father in heaven, I have heard your voice. Your words are coming through clearly and they are hitting my heart through the power of the Holy Spirit like a hammer hits a rock. The Bible tells me that your words are a fire and a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces, according to Jeremiah 23 and 29. So I receive your words spoken over every rock and hard place in my life today. I come in the name of Jesus Christ, your beloved son, in whom you are so very well pleased. He is the one who gave himself willingly so that I could now have this life in him. You said in Hebrews 4 and 16 that I could come boldly to the throne of grace to seek grace and to obtain mercy in my time of need. And today, my father, I am in need. I thank you today for your loving kindness. Lord, you are always watching over me and protecting and shielding me. You are my good, good shepherd, and I give thanks to you today. Holy Father, I have come to tell the truth today. I have fallen short of your glory according to Romans 3 and 23, and none of us are righteous according to Romans 3 and 10. I have been blinded by the enemy and his operation in my life and in my bloodline, and I have accepted a life that is so much less than your plan and will for me. I acknowledge the truth today, Father. I acknowledge the iniquities of my forefathers that have gone before me. They have been working against my bloodline and have manifested in the forms of curses upon my generation. You told me, Father, in Hosea chapter 4 and 6, my people perish for lack of knowledge. But it is also written that whosoever lacks knowledge should come to you and you will give it to them liberally. I now forgive my forefathers, all who have gone before me that have violated your holy laws. I repent now and ask you to forgive us today for all of our unrighteousness. And I pray that you will cleanse me and my bloodline and generations to come in the name of Jesus. 
I renounce and denounce the sins and curses of any and all association, connection, covenant, contract, agreement, or ties to any demonic entities or organizations. I separate myself from any demonic practices and covenants, and I ask for your forgiveness today in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will give me the knowledge of the sins, the ungodly and offensive behavior, and subsequent curses that have plagued my life and my bloodline. Show me what I cannot see, so I can repent completely in the name of Jesus. My Lord, I humbly ask you to please reveal them to me. Show me every last one that has been the cause of me living a life that is not the abundant life you died for me to have. Rip off all of the covers so that I can see clearly. Open my spiritual eyes and ears so that I can see and hear what the Holy Spirit shares with me. Wherever there is any agreement with the devil in my life that I am unaware of, expose it. Wherever I have come into agreement with or formed any demonic covenants, please reveal it. I declare that I am a child of God because I have confessed with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I have believed this in my heart that you raised him from the dead, according to Romans 10 and 9. I declare in the name of Jesus that I am co-heirs with Christ Jesus. And I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me. As it says in Romans 8 and 37. I now stand on the word of God and I declare that Jesus is my stronghold. He is the strength of my life according to Psalm 27 and 1. And any covenant and stronghold in my life that is not of God must now fall to the ground in the name of Jesus Christ. Almighty God, you tell us as your children that we should ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened according to Matthew 7, 7. Here I am today, my father. Will you not answer my supplications according to your word? I need your help. And because you said in Isaiah 41 and 10 that you will strengthen me, you said that you would help me and that you would lift me up with your righteous right hand. I have now come to take you up on that offer in the name of Jesus. Expose the enemy, my father. The devil is a liar and he's a father of lies and there's no truth in him. So I come out of agreement with him today in Jesus' name. I will not be subject to his demonic covenants, strongholds, walls, or fortresses any longer. I want the life you said I could have. I claim it now in Jesus' name and I declare that your kingdom come, your will be done in my life, my bloodline, and generations to come. Heavenly Father, wash and cleanse my hands and heart today accordingly. Spirit of the living God, I now give full permission for you to do the work you have come to do in my life. Show me all I need to see because as it is written, you lead me into all truth and you are my helper. Father, I pray for knowledge, understanding and wisdom. Please establish my thoughts and order my steps and lead me in the path of righteousness. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for coming to my rescue as the breaker. And thank you for deliverance today. My eyes have been opened and I bless your holy name. Please help me to experience the freedom that your blood affords me for the glory of God, the Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Join me on the next episode where we learn how Jesus will break us out of spiritual jail. It's a powerful word. You don't want to miss it. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, may God bless and keep you. 
Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if it has been impactful or a blessing in any way, please consider sharing this episode with others who may be interested or curious in finding out what it's like to live with Jesus. Also consider leaving a review on Apple, Google, or Spotify. And by God's grace, we'll meet again on the next episode of This is the Life. God bless you.